how do you price an ad on your channel? That's probably the most common question we get from other creators. And it was the biggest question we had when we first started on YouTube. So we're hosting a live workshop on how to price yourself. This is everything that we've learned in the past 13 years of being on YouTube and our simple three-step process that'll help you develop concrete pricing. So if you wanna join us for this live session, just go to colinandsamir.com slash live. Enter your email and you'll get all the information about our live event on May 9th. All right, hope you enjoy this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. Today on The Colin and Samir Show, we're talking about creative collaboration, what can go wrong and how it can go right. I was like trying to have fun and bring people together. That was the whole concept of it. And then quickly I realized like you have to have a business in place. You have to have equity in these things set up. Like I didn't think about any of that stuff when I started this. That's Thomas Petro. He's the founder of The Hype House, which is a huge home in the Hollywood Hills, as well as a media and content collective known as a creator house. Over the past year, we've seen a rise in TikTok creator houses, but this is a concept that is not new. No, creator houses have actually been around for a while. And actually before creator houses, this concept of a collective has been around forever. And whenever you have creative people who are living together, making things together, and generating an income together, it can get kind of messy. It was horrible. I was like throwing up every day from anxiety every morning. In the case of the Hype House, Thomas is the one who runs the show. He chooses who moves into the house. So he's basically like the gatekeeper between Hollywood and the next generation of stars. So often with creator houses, there is a lot of drama. And with the Hype House, the majority of the original members have either left the group or have been kicked out. Addison Ray. Not God. there anymore. The Demilios, not there anymore. Through all that drama, the Hype House remains one of the most successful creator houses and one of the most well-known creator houses out there. I think it's the only house that I even know anymore. The Hype House has a major following. It has a successful merch line. It has major stars who've come through the Hype House. Like some of the biggest names in social media started with the Hype House. And now they even have their own reality show coming out on Netflix. So when it comes to creator houses, like- This is the one. It's, this is the one. Yeah. So when so many creator houses fail, if not the majority of creator houses fail, how did Thomas do this right? And why are all these members leaving if the Hype House is so successful? We're going to go into some of the different models that creators can use to collaborate with each other, to collaborate with agents, managers, and speak from some of our personal experience of working together for the last 10 years. All right, Colin, roll the intro. have a little bit of a scared coffee energy today. Mm. You know that feeling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's different levels. It's like alert, mm -hmm. energized, yep. and then it quickly goes to terrified. Yes. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah Paranoid, yeah. So I'm terrified. on the edge of, I'm about to be terrified. You're on the edge. Yeah, yeah I'm I can't, I can't keep my hand <laughs> from shaking. And it's partially your fault. My fault? Yes. Why? Because I made cold brew. Yeah. And you bought, well, bought me you this cold like make your own cold brew sure, thing, yeah. but I don't know how it really works and I don't know how long to let it steep. Bottom line is I'm not happy with you today. I see. Because this is your fault. Got it. Okay. And although I'm saving money, I'm not feeling great. So let's start by talking about like the origins of Thomas. Where did this guy come from? And like, how did he start this successful collective? Especially because he seems really young, right? Yeah, he's, he's like, 22. He's in his early 20s. Are he's it's 24? A lot, it's a lot to take on. Whether he's 22 or 24, everyone in social media is either 22 or 24, except for us. There's some people out there. Some. Yeah. But mostly everyone is 22 or 24. Sure. So the idea for this episode stemmed from listening to Thomas talk to Dave Portnoy and Josh Richards on their podcast BFFs. Yes. And I've always been curious about how the Hype House works. And we've actually talked to a lot of other people who live in creator houses because I've always been curious, like, what's the value 
exchange for everyone. And it feels like they're built to implode. And they often do. They often do. Because, right? So yeah. you look at what Thomas has done with the Hype House and I, we're just very curious. Yeah, like how, how is it, this How work? is it not imploded yet? How has Charlie D'Amelio, Addison Ray? how have they left the Hype House and yet it's still friendly and there's new stars that have come in? Right. How is this operating? When we look at like Thomas's past and his origin, um, what he talked about on the show is that actually he met Jake Paul at a camera store here in LA, which is actually a popular one, Sammy's Camera. We've been there a lot. We've been there a ton. In our videos, we go to Sammy's Camera. He just happened to have met Jake Paul there. And I didn't realize this, but Thomas was daily vlogging and he had been vlogging for four years. Four years. And he said he was getting like 200 views on a video. Which has to be one of the hardest things you could do. Daily vlog for four years and not take off. How do you do that? But I guess you're so young. Yeah, you're so young. You're like, you're in such like think about it if you're whatever you're doing in high school, right? Like let's say you're a high school basketball player, you're playing basketball every day from 14 to 18. Your expectation is not that you know you take off. It's like I'm honing in on this craft and I'll probably take off. Like this will be my career. It's interesting because that just wasn't a reality mm-hmm. for us. But someone who's that familiar with you know content at that time at a young age, been doing anything for four years, like you have some level of expertise in it at that point. So he meets Jake Paul at Sammy's camera. They start talking about cameras. And then after some time, he ends up building a relationship with Jake and either like working or just getting to know Jake and Team 10 really well. And Team 10 is the original social media creator house. There's controversy around that, but for all intents and purposes, we will call it our first interaction with a creator house is Team 10. Funded by Gary V. Jake lives in the house. Yeah, there's a ton of investors. And the thing is, at this time, social media is so new that the model that they want to use is more akin to like just a a record label or potentially a a Hollywood studio. Just a way of saying like, we will build your brand and in exchange, we will own a piece of your revenue. We'll get you deals and we'll collect. So Jake essentially becomes manager, but also collaborator, friend, takes a percentage of the people who come into the house, the advantage for the people in the house is that they can actually start to grow a, a following on social media because of the proximity to Jake. And uh, and the other members. Yeah. Like the thing is, if one other member, example, Alyssa Violet, takes off, now the whole house is all interacting with each other and it, it all takes off. It's, it's very similar to like hip hop collaborations, right? Like the way Drake really came about, at least for me, is I was listening to Lil Wayne and then Drake was ending up in a ton of Lil Wayne songs. And then all of a sudden there's Drake. But does Lil Wayne take a percentage of Drake's earnings? As far as I know, and someone can correct us in the comments, but- I mean, he was signed to their label, so probably, yeah. And that's where issues often arise. Right. So when it comes to the overall deal, the revenue share model, Mm. things can get really messy because when the talent gets to a point where they feel like they can exist on their own, they no longer feel like they should be paying a percentage of their revenue back Mm. to the person that initially helped them. Right, but that person who initially helped them is basically saying, you wouldn't have even had this without me, so you should pay me this for you know, maybe an additional three or five years. And when you're a young 17, 18 year old signing an agreement like this, you, you don't really know what you're signing. So naturally tension arises because there's a lack of communication. And you feel like you're working your ass off and potentially the manager is just reaping the benefits. Sure. Yeah. Right. But it's confusing because the manager is also a content creator who's also like your friend, maybe because you live together and your roommate or your housemate. That, by the way, I got to say, looked like a very tough environment to live in. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like it was very difficult, toxic, crazy. It it imploded. It didn't work. Thomas was privy to that and saw Mm -hmm. that take place. Right. 
I just want to acknowledge one episode I saw that Jake like comes into a room with a motorbike while someone's sleeping and then like hoses him down with a fire extinguisher to wake him up. And I was like, that, that would, I would walk out. I'd be like, okay, that's enough. Yeah. I mean, if, go if, home now. if you ever did that to me and you were like, <laughs> it's good, it's good content. That's going to get views. Right. I'd be like, we're done here. Right. Yeah. That's enough. Yeah. yeah thanks. Yeah, I'm going to go. But I'd rather sit in a chair. I'm going to go talk about the economics of creators somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. So the revenue share model, I think, again, I think people are pulling from music and saying, how do we, how do we create artists? Like at the end of the day, this is all about suggesting if someone can find fame, can someone else help manufacture it? Right. Mm -hmm. This happens in all entertainment, right? Like one person has got it. Now let's try and build another person because being an entertainer or being a content creator, not scalable. No, it's you. But having the network, having yes. the show, that is scalable. You can yes. bring people through it. Exactly. What's interesting is this, this revenue share model works in the more macro sense with YouTube, right? YouTube is this model that says you can use YouTube to build your career and we will split the revenue with you. We'll sell deals and advertising on top of your channel and we'll take revenue from that. And in a way, it's the only game in town. True. There's no deal like it that will give you the distribution right. and the revenue that the YouTube deal gives you. Right. So creators take it. So the reason why revenue share models work is when one person has a platform that allows you to create a business and you split the revenue because if you didn't have that platform, it would be $0. With that platform, it's X amount. The challenge with the revenue share models in the creator house is that at some point you actually have your own platform and you could generate without this person. So that's the challenge with the revenue share model. All right, so this whole episode is about how creators can collaborate with each other, how they can accelerate their careers and amplify their audience. And the sponsor of today's episode is actually one of the best companies you can collaborate with if you're trying to be in the business of being a creator. And that's Colin? Jelly Smack. Nice, that was an alley-oop. Dunk. Jelly Smack is a company that works with creators to get their content across different platforms to both increase their revenue as well as their audience. Now, you've probably heard about Jelly Smack either on our show, in the press, or just from another creator friend of yours, and that's because they work with a lot of creators. Creators like MrBeast, PewDiePie, Phil DeFranco, and Yes Theory, but they also work with creators of all sizes. Jelly Smack actually generated over $100,000 in incremental revenue for two-thirds of its creators last year. So the way that Jelly Smack works is actually really simple. If you're a YouTube creator and you focus on making YouTube videos, then Jelly Smack will take those YouTube videos and they'll cut them for different platforms. Not only will they cut them in different formats and sizes, but they'll actually make them optimized for those platforms. Even if it has music in it, they're able to cut around it and make a compelling piece of content across all platforms. I'm actually so impressed with how they do that. I mean, they have a whole team of editors and then they have this technology that like tracks the eyes of mm -hmm. the person in the video and then formats it perfectly for every platform. Tell you what, there's no way we could do that. If you're going to be making videos, you might as well get the most out of them. So if you're interested, you can go to jellysmack.com and then click get in touch and tell them that we sent you. Now, another collaboration model to touch on is the advance against future earnings. This is something that comes straight from music, right? Record labels mm -hmm. will give new artists an advance, a certain amount of money. You can now go try and build your career off of this loan, essentially, but you will need to pay us back before you truly start earning. Right. So what it means, advance against future earnings, that means I spot Colin as talent and I'm like, that guy's good. Let me put up a million dollars. So here, Colin, you have a content budget of a million dollars, but I'm writing you this check for a million dollars. I have to make my million dollars back before you can make another dollar outside of a million dollars. 
So this is a model that's also classic in entertainment. Um, feels really exciting for a young creator because it's like, here's a check. Now you get to do this thing that you want to do. Um, but you're essentially clawing back that money through your work. You can feel like you're in massive debt instead of yeah. like you are a successful artist. Right, because your, your income is capped at that amount until you surpass that amount. So actually a really famous tale of this is Dominique Fike in music who was given, I think, the biggest advance as a new artist, which was $4 million, because he had drummed up so much hype online about his music. So he got a $4 million advance, which is super exciting. That suggests also that he should be able to make $10 million, because otherwise, you know. But he's a brand new artist, right. and he's got a lot of expenses. He's taking care of his family. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so the advance against future earnings can also work in a collaboration model, but you have to understand it as a creator to say okay, I have to trust that I can make a lot more money than this. Now, what's interesting is what Thomas did with the Hype House. And we're saying Thomas, but also Chase Hudson was a founding member. Lil Huddy, you don't know who Chase Hudson is. Daisy Keach, who is no longer a part of the Hype House. There was some serious drama there. Big drama. She also was one of the founding members to put some money up for the Hype House. But Thomas is the guy yeah. now. And his model that he's using with the Hype House is the revolving door model. Now, this is something they talk about on the episode with Dave Portnoy, and it's super fascinating the way that it works. When you take a percentage of someone, it doesn't matter what you do for them. Eventually, they'll hate you. And I've noticed that with managers and agents, no matter what, you, they will end up, you'll end up being the bad guy later down the road when they're ready to be like, I don't deserve this. I deserve better than you. I don't want to share my money with anyone or anything like that. So I was like, what if I take a different approach and I bring a bunch of people together? There's no percentages. There's no like agreements. You can do whatever you want, leave whenever you feel like it. Let's just bring a group of creators together that are doing well or blowing up. And then let's just take it from there. If you're not getting a percentage of these people, what are you yeah. getting? Well, what I was getting was an opportunity to be successful in this industry on my own. So let's just clearly explain the, the, the value prop model and the value exchange here. The creators who come into Hype House, they get value because they get a platform. They get a built-in audience. They get to collaborate with others with built-in audiences and they get to grow their audience to the point where they can actually get independent brand deals. They can launch their own merchandise. They can get talent deals. They can become whatever business they want to become using the foundation of the Hype House. They also get community yeah. and a place to live. Right. An amazing right. set for videos. Right. Yeah. And on the other side, what Hype House gets is talent to help build their IP which allows them to sell merchandise, enter into deals like the Netflix deal with the reality show and get bigger brand partnerships for the hype house as mm -hmm. an entity. So the value exchange is actually pretty clean. Yeah, it's very simple. So I think what's really cool is that Dave talks about SNL, which mm -hmm. is a great example of a revolving door. You theoretically own Hype House. So, you know, if someone leaves and comes in, you still can sell brand deals, Hype House. If someone wants to leave, you replace them. It's like almost yeah. a Saturday Night Live. SNL works because there's a central group that owns Saturday Night Live. Now, the opportunity is for them to build that platform so big that other comedians, actors can come on the show and build their careers using that platform. But the goal is actually, the success of that show is if an actor goes on and leaves and people know, oh, he came from SNL. And that's a conversation that happens all the time. And that actor, that comedian built the brand of SNL while they were, while there. They were there. SNL yeah. built the brand of the actor or the comedian. And that's the exchange, right? I don't think anyone goes to SNL and thinks, I'm so big, I'm so popular, I'm so talented 
that you should be giving me equity SNL. Mm-hmm. I should own part of SNL in perpetuity for the rest of time. Anyone, anytime someone sells an SNL shirt or SNL yeah. shows up anywhere else, I should get a cut of that deal because I am the funniest person right. to ever grace the stage. Right. It's just not, it's, it sounds ridiculous. Yeah. So this is how the hype house works. There's no equity exchange. So let's say I join the Hype House. The value to me is that the Hype House has such a big platform. It has built-in fans. It has this opportunity to make content. It has mentorship from other content creators. I get to plug into a system. Now I get to build my career. A lot of people in the Hype House have their own management too. Mm -hmm. So they have separate management, just like actors on SNL, where they come in they're managed by you know a, 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 another management company. They get deals outside of it. I do hype house engagements and and initiatives. Like I help with the merchandise. I help with uh, the advertising deals. The same way as if I was an actor on SNL. And then when I'm big enough or I've incubated my career to a point where I'm ready to leave, clean exchange. There's no ties in there, and I can just move on. And if I'm big enough, it's valuable to the hype house because they're like, hey, that guy came from the hype house. Mm-hmm. So we know what we're doing. We make stars. We make stars. We manufacture stars. And now you start to see what the Hype House is doing with the Netflix show. That's the value of IP. Merchandise, the Netflix show, they, Thomas gets a ton of value from the creators coming in, building the brand of Hype House. And he actually gets a ton of value when they leave. The fact that Addison Ray and the D'Amelio sisters were in the Hype House and left is super beneficial to the brand of the Hype House. Because Thomas can walk in a meeting and be like, yeah, the D'Amelio sisters launched their career here in the Hype House. So if you sponsor the Hype House, you could have an early in with the next Charlie D'Amelio. Now, another thing I think that's interesting, if you listen to Thomas in this interview, he mentions how you know some of the people that come into the Hype House now have significant followings. You look at Vinny Hacker, mm-hmm. right? He came into the Hype House with a significant following. Right. So why would he join the Hype House is something that's interesting to think about. Yeah. Some of it is connections, I would imagine. You know, Thomas... Right says that he facilitated the boxing match right right for yeah. Vinny he got him into that fight and that grew his following by you know 2 million followers on Instagram but i think for young creators there's also an element of i need community yeah i want to be a huge entertainer but i don't want to be alone so totally. i will do some of these hype house brand deals to pay rent and live at the hype house that's fine so one of the things thomas mentioned was like if there is a brand deal that's given to the hype house and you live in the hype house, you help execute it in exchange for rent. Actually, that's pretty good. Fine. Yeah, sure. You get to live in this big house and use it as your set. And in exchange, again, you do the stuff for the show, for the show, as we'll call it. And if you ever feel like the show making things for the hype house is starting to impact your personal brand, you leave. Yeah. I actually think it's the right model. Mm-hmm. Like I haven't heard of a model in this industry yet for a creator collective that makes sense. This one makes sense to me. If I'm, you know, a young up and coming creator, I would be open to joining it because what's my true downside? It sounds like you're not contractually obligated to anything. So if my downside is I have to spend time making content for the hype house and you know, I don't have upside there. I still think that's all right because I think you as the creator have to make the upside the same way as if you got booked on SNL, it's up to you to make that valuable to you. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Right? Yeah, that not everyone goes to SNL and then all of a sudden is a major star. Right. It's up to you to figure out like, you know, how am I going to make this work? A good example on SNL is Chloe Feynman, who is a cast member on SNL, but took to social 
right when she became a cast member to like play out these characters. And then those characters ended up on SNL and like she's able to build her own following outside of the show, but you have to work for that. I think it's the same thing. It's like, okay, cool. Now you have the platform, the Hype House. There's all these initiatives. You can be in content together. You can be on the Hype House TikTok. And it's up to you now that you're in the Hype House to figure out how to build your personal brand and build it big enough so you can leave. So there's no equity exchange like we've mentioned. Do you think though that potentially there should be, wouldn't it be advantageous for Charlie D'Amelio to have an equity percentage of the Hype House now because of how large she is? Maybe, but I think it would get really complicated because like over time she would want more. Mm. She would want more as she gets so big. Like the value to Thomas is that she was in it. That's it. That's it. Yeah, he like, doesn't need any more. The value I think to Thomas is just like, hey, we built Charlie D'Amelio and we can do it again. Whether or not that's true, that's a huge value prop to announce. So I think actually he says this in the interview the Hype House reality show is a make or break mm-hmm. moment for him. If the Netflix show goes well, it's essentially like the real world and the effect that that had for MTV, right? That's a right. show that still runs today, I think, or it ran for like Does decades. It? Yeah. And they were just able to bring random people in and keep the name of the show mm-hmm. as the premier sort of item. If that works, then he's built IP. Then he's built something that can scale over time. And Netflix is like, cool, this is our play in social media reality shows. Not only scale over time, but scale beyond TikTok. That's a huge thing. The Hype House lives or dies essentially by TikTok. Sure, it's on Instagram. They've got three YouTube videos, but it lives and dies by their success on TikTok. So the Hype House merchandise also has a deal with Target. So Hype House merch is in Target nationwide. But Hype House merch is only as valuable as Hype House, the show. Right. And the brand is right, both on TikTok and on Netflix. It has to diversify, right, across platforms. I think the next wave of all of this, though, I think it could be like vesting schedules that if you're in the hype house for five years, you do get, you know, a percentage. The same way that if you're at a company for X amount of time, you own a percentage of it. That could happen, or I'm sure this is already happening, but this could also happen through crypto, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Where it's like there's a coin. But I think you probably want to be, there's like a lot of, there's a lot of sketchy crypto coins going around right now. You probably don't want to have like a hype coin. No. And like, that's not a good time for trader coins. No, no. I wonder though, if you could carve out maybe merchandise Mm. and find some way to give creators equity around the merch. Yeah, that's a good idea. I like that. Or like while you're in the house, like once the merchandise, you know, makes whatever margin it needs to make, anything above that is split with everyone in the house. It's just like additional cash. That could work. But again, SNL didn't do it. A lot of these types of shows don't do it. Do they really need to? It's true. Probably not. I think the way that creator businesses should grow and the way people should think about it is whatever has worked really well before in entertainment, figure out how to do that in this world. Mm -hmm. So SNL, still on the air, still talked about, people still watch it. Generally, SNL is seen as a successful entertainment franchise. And I think that as creators, it's not about fully, fully reinventing things. It's about taking what has worked and then adjusting it and making it work. And the thing is, if you take something that had problems in other industries, revenue shares had proof that they had tension attached to them and that they didn't always work, right? Team 10 did not work out. Team 10 was a great example. So revenue shares that doesn't work. Advance against future earnings. There's tons of young musicians who, who have terrible feelings about their record deals that they sign and feel like they're in these like jail contracts, right? So that doesn't really work. But this revolving door model, it has worked in the past. And so taking that and saying, let's 
let's make, let's TikTokify that model. Mm-hmm. You know, let's, let's make that model social media. That's really smart. And I like that. And I think that that's a really important thing in this next wave of the creator economy. What are those other models and other industries that could work? You mm-hmm. know, like this revolving door model, it can work really well for creator houses. And I would actually suggest anyone who's thinking about a creator house, do it like this. That's really smart. Look, I will gladly get out of this seat and let another Colin take it over. Revolving door. Sure. Any other Collins out there could sit there. Fine. And no one would know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The more I think about what you just said, the ruder that really... <laughs> The ruder it was. The ruder it was, yeah. yeah. There is a substantial risk here that you bring in a crop of talent that just is not interesting. You know, like all the successful people leave and then you have no one that's interesting. I mean, and that happens on SNL, right? Where there's there's seasons seasons that aren't aren't as interesting sometimes. Ratings aren't as great. Right. But NBC keeps keeps the show going. Yeah, that's true. But I, I guess that's why Thomas has to become a creator and a creator that people love so that no matter what, he can be the one that introduces other people. A tricky dynamic. I mean, to be a creator as well as the head of the house running the business, I mean, you're the same age as a lot of these people. Everyone's 22 and 24. Everyone's 22 and 24. Everyone's 22 and 24. There's no 23-year-olds in social media. No, that's the takeaway. That's the takeaway of this whole episode. Everyone's 22 or 24. You know where the name Hype House comes from? Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. They were talking about, so on the episode, they were talking about how on TikTok, someone has the hype. Like someone has it and in a moment. And that means that they are taking over the For You page. And right. what was crazy was that both Josh and Thomas were able to say, oh yeah, that was when you had the hype. Right. Oh yeah, and that was when Charlie had the hype. And they both acknowledge that right now, Vinny Hacker has the hype. Crazy. Who has the hype? Like as we're doing this right now, like a top three, Vinny. like who jumps? Vinny. Vinny, Vinny Hacker. has the hype, I Vinny, guess. Yeah. yeah. There's something that happens when so many people are looking up someone or something is like getting a lot of engagement reacting to their face on TikTok, where TikTok's like, this is doing well, let's boost this. So they just yeah. boost it to everyone. No, 100%. Their speculation is that TikTok acknowledges when someone has the hype and then all it's all fan pages, edits, like everyone is posting. That, about they're, that TikTok yeah. is creating stars by elevating people to right. the limelight. Yeah. I mean, listen, we made a video about this. You know, I think that's absolutely true that they're dishing out celebrity. TikTok would never create a house. No. They don't have to. No, they don't have to. Yeah. They are a house. Yeah. Yeah. They are a digital creator collective. Yeah. Yeah. Last week in our interview with Justin Kahn, he said something really interesting about why he started Justin TV. He said, if you put someone's face on a billboard in Times Square, they can become famous. Yeah. And I think that's actually the general thought process of something like the Hype House, which is if we build a platform, it's like a billboard. So if we put someone in the Hype House, they can become famous. We will manufacture fame. Mm -hmm. So it's like this big digital billboard. That's the value of collaboration in social media. Do you think it's important that it's in LA? I think the serendipity of LA, yes. I think it's just like... The, the reality is that so many creators are in LA, but there is a bit of an exodus right now to Miami and to other places. And I do think that having a central hub and being where other creators are is important because again, like we just said, collaboration is how you build a brand in social media. I also think young creators want to be in LA. Young creators who want to be actors, who want to be singers. That's true. It's value for them that the house is in LA, right? You just mentioned that the Hype House is managed by WME. WME's offices are in LA. Yeah. So like you want to be here. Like the value of in-person collaboration, whether it's business or on camera, you just need it. And maybe TikTok, the company, understands that positioning. So they will treat Hype House content differently. 
Whoa. From content houses, maybe. In, okay, now you're getting into... That's wow, a conspiracy that's, theory. Yeah, but I like it. But I dig it. Why not? Yeah. Right? Let's dive in. Let's throw some sure. stuff out there. Yeah, light a match. <laughs> throw it in the gas. Right? It would make sense that yeah. the house in LA that has the most traction with the biggest stars. Because mm-hmm. it really is saying something about TikTok more than it says something about the people who actually live in the house right. or Thomas. That the new Hollywood is TikTok. Exactly. Mm, that he's good. building the new Nickelodeon, the new Disney, and it's happening on TikTok yeah. in LA. It's so interesting that he calls it the new Nickelodeon. I was like, go get your own managers, get your own agents, make your own money your way. This has nothing to do with me. We help build this collective that will help all of us grow and kind of mm-hmm. be like a modern day, like Nickelodeon and help push out talent. Cause that's so true. Also Nick, Nickelodeon's a revolving door. Like any network's a revolving door. Like yeah. think about the concept of Disney channel. When people are like, oh, the Disney Channel effect, right? Like yeah. Olivia Rodrigo, mm-hmm. she was on the Disney Channel, built a fan base, and now is Olivia Rodrigo. And actually, it's super beneficial for Disney to be like, hey, 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 she was on Disney. You same, know? same as Disney being like, hey, hey, Jake Paul, the boxer. <laughs> they love that. They love that. Oh, they love They're that. They're super yeah, in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Disney alumnus, yeah. Jake Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever want to be on Nickelodeon or, or Disney when you were a kid? I, no. Really? I wanted to be on Nick. You grew up in LA. Yeah, exactly. I still want to be on Nick. Doing what? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean doing what? Dude, perfect out a show on Nick. Yeah, that's, but what would we, what would you we do? We could do this on Nickelodeon. Yeah, you don't that's think? true. You don't think we, we could do this? Yeah, yeah. We could do like creator camp, <laughs> teach kids how to create. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I like that. What do you think is the most important thing when it comes to creators collaborating with each other? What do both parties need to sort of understand? What do they need to do? Especially considering that sometimes creators collaborate with other creators who are much larger than them, mm. right? Yeah, it's value exchange. It's, it's like 100% value exchange. So, you know, obviously I think a good example is Mr. Beast coming on our channel, right? And like, we have a really good relationship with, with Mr. Beast, but we offer him a format that he doesn't typically have. He gets to talk about his, his initiatives, his business. He's really sharp in business. And we give him a space to talk to other creators about what he's doing. Mm. And I think that's a value that's completely different from someone else's value. He's not coming to us because he's going to gain more subscribers. He comes to us to, to tell a story that's completely different from other places because we have a platform to tell that story. Yeah. And obviously for us, the value exchange is, is in new audience development because people come watch us talk to Mr. Beast and they'll probably be like, oh, I like the way these guys talk to creators and talk about creators. I'd like to subscribe to their show and help them get to 300,000 subscribers. Yeah. So it's completely about understanding your value to each other yes. when you're collaborating. And I think someone who's done this really well that we've spoken to is Eric, mm-hmm. right? He gives other creators that are much larger than him content. He yes. makes their job easy by mm-hmm. coming up with ideas that they would want to film and make videos about. Yeah. That's a question we get a lot. It's like, how should I go about collaborating? The most important thing is like clearly explain the value you are bringing in the collaboration on both sides, like explain how this value exchange works and do it in as few words as possible, especially if it's in a DM. And most likely it doesn't have to do with the number of subscribers you have yeah, or followers you have. It's about who your audience is, the people that are actually watching you mm-hmm. and your abilities, your skill sets. Because sometimes we collaborate with people who don't have an audience. That mm-hmm. happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Last thing I'm going to say about collaboration, Dave Portnoy and Josh Richards, that was pretty smart. Yeah, seems like an odd couple, but... The, but the value exchange is clear. Like for Dave... He wants the young audience to get introduced to Barstool, like the whole world of Barstool Mm -hmm. through him, right? So he has Josh Richards' young female audience getting introduced to Barstool. Super interesting, right? So he's getting the new crop of people who are interested in the internet to potentially become Barstool fans. 
And Josh is trying to make his way out of the Gen Z young audience and into an older audience as he's starting to have this like entrepreneurial vibe to him, right? So he gets access to the Barstool audience who's a little bit older, interested in sports, interested in entrepreneurship. That value exchange is pretty clear. They've also created a new show, this brand BFFs, mm-hmm. which there may be some sort of equity exchange there, right? On, oh yeah, they on, probably collectively own the show. Yeah, they yeah. collectively own the show as, a, as opposed to just Barstool owning yeah. the show. Yeah, Maybe they sell merch. Right, but Barstool as a brand, and Dave talks about this, Barstool as a brand is a revolving door, right? People come in, build shows in Barstool, that builds the Barstool brand, and then if they leave, great example, our episode on Call Her Daddy, even though Call Her Daddy left Barstool and went to Spotify, it's overall very positive for Barstool. Because now people yeah. are like, if I want to become a mega star, I should go into Barstool. And even if you're an advertiser, yeah, it's the understanding that Barstool knows how to spot talent. Right. They know how to create hits. And it actually lets them sell big ad deals at early stages in shows. Because as an advertiser, I'm like, well, if I get in early with this show, mm-hmm. this could explode. It could be the next Call yeah. Her Daddy. And so the next wave of creator economy, media companies and media collectives are incubators or revolving doors. It's like, come in here. We know how to manufacture fame. We know how to create communities. We know how to build audiences. You come here, you get a platform. It's okay if you leave because we know how to monetize it without you. All right. Welcome to the hit segment of this show called Comment Below. Today on Comment Below, we have a question from Trevon, Trayvon. Correct me if I'm saying that wrong. T-R-E-V-O-N. Wait, no why? No no why. No why. So Trevin. Trevin. How's Colin and Samir as a company doing? Can we invest in your company? To answer the first question, this is our last day here. So we're shutting off the lights. not going well. (laughs) And Um, we thank all of you for the fun times that we had. Honestly, I mean, like 2020 (laughs) was this, in a strange way, this gift uh, of focus because we had no choice but to sit in a room and and focus. And that allowed us to like focus in on our audience, focus in on the type of content we want to make and gave us this opportunity to really build our company. And so we will be doing an episode that kind of shows you what happens at our company who works here. We have 10 team members now, which is pretty amazing between our newsletter, the published press, this show, and now some of our new initiatives. Next week, we're launching merchandise. Colin and I are both wearing it. So we have a lot of new initiatives that are coming out and some pretty exciting deals that are going to get announced soon. Yeah. That's, uh, that's interesting, really cool. Interesting things. Yeah. So overall, we're really grateful. A lot of that comes because of you guys supporting the show and, and our platforms. And I think, you know, comes from us having, having a focus on the business. So overall, it's going great. Yeah. We're having a good time. Yeah. It's really fun. There was a second part to that question. What was the second part? Can I invest in your company? Oh, um, yeah. You know what actually would be helpful is if you bought the merch. Next yeah. Week. That's how you yeah. can invest that's in us right invest. now. And I think also investing in, um, the mantra of press publish, you know, invest in yourself, invest in yourself, by putting your ideas out in the world, pressing publish, invest in yourself by taking our storytelling course, which also would be you investing in us. Sure. Yeah. And maybe one day there will be a way to invest in us. I'm sure there's going to be a way, but as of right now, the best way to invest is to like the videos, subscribe to the channel, tell your friends, check out the published press. We've got a lot of stuff going on and uh, get ready. The merch launch is coming next week. Colin, you got to roll the outro first. Yeah. You got to tell me to. Roll the outro. All right, rolling the outro. Here we go. Roll the outro. 